Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Atlanta Discourse. This is the 19th edition. I'm still your boy, Ade Balogo. And today we're going to talk about, is Islam a religion of violence? Yeah, that's a very, some would say controversial. I don't think so. The, the facts speak for itself. We're just going to look at the facts. I don't think it is a violent religion, but we just need to, to rub minds, look at where the fact leads us and... Uh, and do justice to it. As you know, at Atlantic Discourse, we embrace humanity to disseminate positive news in a world filled with a lot of very bad news. We give a voice to the unheard always. We balance the information equation as much as we can, and we discuss the facts wherever it leads to. We combine the best of all races to get the best out of mankind. We serve as a bridge between the developing and the developed world. We embrace, the, we embrace arts, sports, politics, IT, and faith-based issues, and we never run away from the facts. So that's why it doesn't matter what the topic is, we just look at it and, and pick the fact. So once again, the topic today is, is Islam a religion of violence? And uh, it's going to be a two-part series, actually, because of the enormity of the work involved. So we're going to divide it into two parts. So this uh, episode 19, part one. And uh, firstly, we're going to look at overviews and the six beliefs of Islam. Then secondly, we look at the basic tenets of Islam, the Sunni angle, the Shia angle, and the Ismaili angle. So in part two, we'll look at what the Quran says about the Sharia itself, Islam and wars, uh, Jihad, uh, Jihad itself, we look at Jihad in all ramifications, then we look at Islam and crime, what does Islam say about crime and what have you. So let's uh, cut the chase and get it running. So I'm going to start with what uh, a lecturer in history and political thought from the Western Sydney University, that's uh, Milad Milani, what he said, he said the truth about whether Islam is a religion or violence or peace you know he is a scholar so let me just share his thoughts with you he said islam has a history of violence muslims can be violent denying this is not at all different to denying that islam is peaceful and that all muslims are pacifist the dichotomy is simply false the quran contains injunctions that call both for peace and for violence the problem is not that they are there the difficulty is that non-violence and militant Muslim appear equally justified. Now, he added, he said, For some, the peace of God is through his sword. For others, it is found in his unbounded mercy. For example, he quoted the Quran. He said, The servants of all merciful are those who walk in earth modestly and who, when the ignorant address them, say peace. That's Quran chapter 5 verse 63. Now, he also quoted again from the Quran. He said, fight them and God will chastise them at your hands and degrade them. And he will help you against them and bring healing to the breast of people who believe. That's Quran chapter 9 verse 14. I mean, clearly what he's trying to say there is that one chapter there was preaching peace, one was preaching violence or, or so to say defense. So now he said, part of the problem is that there are concerns about religious content that are not dealt with openly. And there are just too many hard conclusions made about religious texts. I mean, often made by those who know less than they claim. So he's saying clearly that a lot of people that speak about these things are not qualified really to speak about them or they know very little. He went further, he said, looking at the three major religious traditions that believe in one God, that's Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. All three make reference in their religious texts to both violence and peace. He's very right with that. So 
The fact that a religious text contains violence doesn't make it a violent religion, but it's also a fact that a religious text contain, containing peaceful verses does not make that religion a peaceful uh, religion either. So he said, by their fruit you recognize them, you know. So he said, violence is not new to the history of religions, nor is it a phenomenon solely attached to the history of Islam. Christians are Buddhists who also have a track record of fanatism, such as the bombing of abortion clinics and hardliner Buddhists uh, in Myanmar, that's in Burma. So religious content may be a catalyst for violent action, but it should be remembered that its reading relies heavily on human interpretation. To put it mildly, the world is bleeding to death through misunderstanding. Of course, it can never be right to kill in the name of God, but it should also be dawning on all people that it is time to let go of pretensions and anyone knows the will of God. This points directly underlines what the Darren and Oflick recent movie, you know, portrayal of the biblical story of Noah. Whether you like the movie or not, it communicates an important message, the absolute silence of God. In the film, Noah is forced to wrestle with his deepest, darkest self to understand and make decisions that will affect the lives of others. When Noah played by Russell Crowe in the movie we are referring to and shown in a clip that we've all seen, it's on YouTube, is about to kill the twin daughters born into his daughter-in-law. Because he thinks it is the will of God, at length he cannot, but he cannot find it in itself to perform such an act because he showed cowardice, you know? But, I mean, it, it was he had a conscience, that's what I was trying to say. The movie in, in this respect is a timely reminder that sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes we make the right choices. And that is what is at heart, you know, of the debate that we're discussing of whether a religion is valid or not. Rather than listening to the claims and counterclaims about what authentic Islam really stands for, we might be better off to pay more attention to how advocates of their faith choose to live by their life, which is why we should really look at, you know, it's not what they say, look at their actions, you know, some people say good money, you have to check outside like five times, you know, to, are they really saying the truth? That way it might be easier to avoid making assumptions about what the religion might mean and instead focus more on how the faithful live. The enemy of peace is not religion, but those who pursue acts of terror and violence against the innocent in the name of the religion. So now clearly, I mean, I, I just made that just an overview from our good friend here who has done a lot of research in this regard, you know, is, uh, is uh, Milad Milani, a lecturer. Uh, in history and political thought from the Western Sydney University. So I'll just look at the five basic uh, beliefs of Islam. Now this, I mean this six, sorry, the following six beliefs are those that are commonly held by Muslims as laid out in the Quran and the Hadith. Now these six cuts across board, doesn't matter whether you are Sunni, whether you are Shia or Ismaili or whatever sect, because there are a lot of sects in Islam. But uh, like I made, mentioned earlier on, we are right now looking at the overview and the six beliefs of Islam. Subsequently, we'll look at the basic tenet of Islam, the Sunni angle, the Shia angle, and the Ismaili angle. That's what we're going to do in the part one of this series. So, what are the six beliefs that are commonly held by all Muslims? Number one, believe in the oneness of God. Okay, Muslims believe that God is the creator of all things and that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, 
God has no offspring, no race, no gender, nobody, and is unaffected by the characteristics of human life. That's number one. Number two, believe in the angels of God. Muslim believes in angels, unseen beings who worship God and carry out God orders throughout the universe. The angels, the angel Gabriel brought the divine revelation to the prophet. So that's believe in the angels. That's number two. Number three, believe in the books of God. Muslim believe that God revealed holy books or scriptures to a number of God messengers. Those include the Quran that's given to Prophet Muhammad, the Torah given to Moses, the gospel given to Jesus, the Psalm given to David, and the scrolls given to Abraham. Muslim believe that those earlier scriptures in the original form were divinely revealed, but that only the Quran remains as it was first revealed to the Prophet Muhammad. That is, there was no, no, there was no alteration in that. So that's number three, believe in the book of God. Number four, believe in the prophet or messenger of God. Now, Muslims believe that God's guardians have been revealed to mankind through specially anointed messengers or prophets throughout history, beginning with the man Adam, who is considered the first prophet. 25 of these prophets are mentioned by name in the Quran, including Noah, Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. Muslims believe that Muhammad is the, is the last in the line of prophets sent for all humankind with the message of Islam. Now, that's number four. We're going to number five now. Believe in the day of judgment. Muslims believe that uh, on the day of judgment, humans will be judged for their actions in this life. Those who followed God's guardians will be rewarded with paradise. Those who rejected God's guardians will be punished with hell. That's number five. So finally, number six, that believe in the divine decree. This article of faith addresses the question of God's will. It can be expressed as the belief that everything is governed by divine decree. Namely, whatever happened in one's life is preordained and that and that believers should respond to the good or bad that befall them with thankfulness or patience. This concept does not negate the concept of free will. Since humans do not have prior knowledge of God's decree, they do not have the freedom of choice. Wow. That's uh, those are the six basic part. What do we really need to know here? You know, we, we have to look at the facts where it leads us. We have to look at uh, the, the basics of all these things. So we look to the next uh, area now. We look at the basic tenets of Islam, you know, which are the five pillars, so to say, you know. Now, pillars of the religions are fundamental practices in, in Islam considered to be obligatory acts of worship to all Muslims. They are summarized in famous hadith of Gabriel. So the Sunni and Shia agree on the basic details of the performance and the practice of these acts. The Shia do not refer to them as the same, you know, so, I mean, the Shia, they call them the Twelvers. So we're going to go into that. We're going to look at the Shia view, the Sunni angle and what have you. So overview of the five pillars of Islam, you know, the ritual obligation of Muslims are called the five pillars. They are acknowledged and practiced by Muslims across the world, notwithstanding their disparities. They are viewed as compulsory for individuals who genuinely wish to pursue a life like that of which Muhammad led, which was a prudent and mindful life. Like other religions, Islam holds certain practices to be standard. However, that does not imply that all individuals who regard themselves as Muslim necessarily observe them. Individual participation can be very dependent on the individual state faith, you know. For example, not every individual must pray every day, keep the fast, go on Hajj, or donate extensively to charity. Shortly after uh, Muslim Arab conquered new terrains, they started raising mosques and castles and commissioning different uh, commemorations and artifacts as 
articulation of their faith and culture. The religious practice of Islam, which signifies submission to God, depends on the fundamentals that are known as the five pillars. Each of the five pillars is alluded in the Quran through what you call the, uh, the suwah. So further insight concerning these commitments are given in the Hadith. Though comparable practices are performed in pre-Islamic Arabia and by Jews and Christians at the time of Muhammad, they were exchanged in the Quran and Hadith, given a, a carefully monotheistic center and uh, identified with the life of the Prophet. So in the Quran, in spite of the fact that Shadada does not follow up in full, Quran chapter 8 verse 20 urges individuals who accept to obey God and his messenger pray in alluded or multiple times with prayer times referenced in Quran chapter 20 verses 130. And the demonstration of bowing and prostrating is also in Quran chapter 48 verse 29. So in few chapters, Muslims are urged to pray and give alms. For example, in Quran chapter 5 verse 12. However, when to whom gift ought to be made is clarified in more detail in the Hadith. There is a critical entry of fasting in Quran uh, uh, that's of chapter chapter 183 verse 7 which alludes to the period of Ramadan and set out the detail on who ought to and who ought not to fast you know so to a certain extent under specific condition regarding the matter of art the longest Quranic section that's a Q2 196 to uh, 203 you know so it recommends that the destination location of the pilgrimage and the, uh, the lead and the exercises of the individual who participate urging them to have God as a top priority. So th that's the overview of the of pillars. So let's look at it from the, from the Sunni angle. So the pillars of the Sunni Islam, that's number one is what you call for the Sunnis. The first pillar is Shahada, that's the declaration of faith. So uh, the first pillar of Islam is the Shahada for the Sunni, the assertion of faith. There are two Shahada, there is no God but God. And Muhammad is the messenger of God. So this set statement is normally recited in Arabic. There is no God but God, and Muhammad is the messenger of God. It is essential to utter it to become a Muslim to convert to Islam. So I'm sure well a lot of us are conversant with this, respective of which religion we belong to. The first shada promotes the essential unity of faith, proclaiming that there is no God but God. The Tahid, which is the prayer that states that no God but God is a major component of the Islamic faith. So the second pillar is the Salah, which is a prayer, you know. So the, the Sunni Islam has their second pillar as a Salah, which is prayer. So before prayer is observed, ablutions are performed, including washing one hand, faith and feet. A caller, which is called the Muezzin, who calls everybody to prayer, chants aloud in, uh, in from a raised voice, sometimes a microphone. But in the old days, there are no microphones. So Muezzin is usually someone that has a good voice that can you know, send the right vibes, pardon my English there, for people to come and pray. So verses from the Quran are recited either loudly or silently. These prayers are a very specific type of prayer and a very physical type of prayer commonly called prostration, you know. So these prayers are done five times a day at uh, set strict times with individual facing Mecca. The prayers are performed at dawn, noon, afternoon, evening and night. The names according to the prayer are the Fajr, that's dawn, Dur, that's noon, Ashri, that's noon, Maghrib, evening, Isha, at night. The Fajr prayer is performed before sunrise, Dur is performed in the midday after the sun has surpassed its highest point. Ashri is the evening prayer before sunset, Maghrib is the evening prayer after sunset, and Isha is the night prayer. All these prayers are recited 
while facing the direction of the Kaaba in Mecca. So but those are very clear that these prayers may also be observed individually if one is not able to go to the to the mosque. So that's the second pillar, Salah prayer for the Sunni. So the third pillar here is Zakat. You know, Zakat means purification, which indicates that a payment makes the rest of one's wealthy, legally and religiously poor, you know, I mean that giving out. So by following this pillar, Muslims have to deduct certain amount of their income to support the Islamic community and it's usually about 2.5% of an individual's income. This practice is not found in the Quran but rather in the Adit. The tax is used to take good care of the holy places, the mosque, in individual specific Muslim community or to give assistance to those in need who are impoverished. <clears throat> the word zakat can be defined as purification and growth because it allows an individual to achieve balance, encourages uh, new growth. The principle of knowing that all things belong to God is essential for purification and growth. So clearly, zakat is obligatory for all Muslims who are able to do so. There are five principles that should be followed when you are giving zakat. The giver must declare to God his intention to give the zakat. Uh, the zakat must be paid on the day that it is due. After the offering, the prayer must not exaggerate on spending his money more than the usual means. Number four, payment must be in kind. This means that it is wealthy, then he or she needs to pay the portion of their income. You know, So clearly that's saying that if a person does not have much money, then they should compensate for it in different ways. It doesn't always have to be in cash, you know, such as good deeds, good behavior, and towards that. So you can serve in the mosque, you can be selfless, some humanitarian gesture here and there. So number five, the zakat must be distributed in the community from which it was taken. So that's fine. So number four pillar for the Sunni, that's fasting, the, yeah. So now it says fasting takes place during Ramadan, which is the holy month in the Islamic calendar using uh, what you call the lunar calendar means the month of ramadan shifts 11 days earlier each year now uh, ramadan is directly stated in the quran saying eat and drink until the whiteness of the day becomes distinct from the darkness of night at dawn then complete the fast till night the fast occurs from dawn to sunset each day during which time believers are expected to prohibit themselves from any food drink sexual intercourse or smoking however after sunset and before dawn, individuals can participate in any of the action previously stated as their desire. The reason for fasting during Ramadan is to remind Muslims that all individuals are similarly needy upon the assistance of Allah and that these are less lucky individuals who need their assistance. So Ramadan is a period of reflection where Muslims are called upon to recharge their faith increment uh, in their charity, make apology, and so on and so forth. Just some reflections, so to say. So in the Quran, the month of Ramadan was first revealed to Muhammad. Ramadan fasting hands with the Idil Fitri. That's a, a festival of breaking the fast, which lasts for three days of the first day of his uh, festival. There's a meeting at the mosque for prayer celebration. Each family gives money and arms, you know, whatever they have. Then the Three types of fasting, you have the Siyam, you know, are recognized by the Quran, ritual fasting, fasting as compensation for repentance, both from the Quran, chapter 2, and ascetic fasting from the Quran. So ritual fasting is an obligatory act during the month of Ramadan. Muslims must abstain from food, drink from dawn to dusk during this month, and are to be especially mindful of their sins. Like I said earlier, fasting is necessary for every Muslim that's reached puberty. 
So this fast is meant to allow Muslims seek nearness and uh, forgiveness from, from God Almighty. So that's that. So the fifth pillar for the Sunnis as the Hajj going on pilgrimage, you know. Now, during one's life, a Muslim is required to make a pilgrimage to the to the holy city of Mecca during the 12th month of the lunar calendar. This ritual consists of making journey to Mecca while only two white sheet. So for all pilgrims are identical and there's no class distinction between anybody wealthy, poor, or what have you. So amid the age, every single Muslim man dresses alike in a straightforward uh, fabric. Again, to emphasize their uniformity, ladies wear a less complex type of uh, ordinary dress. Pilgrims put the white sheet on when they enter the sanctuary area of Makkah and enter a state of Iram or purity, after which Muslim makes a trip to Mecca. Ishi is known as the Aj or Aja, that's Alaji or Aja, depending on what part of the world you are from, you know. So, one who has made the pilgrimage to Mecca is known as Aj or Alaji or Alaja for people from Africa, which also means somebody that has visited Mecca, you know. So, the main rituals of the Aj include walking seven, uh, seven times around the Kaaba, time the Tawaf, touching the black stone, time the Istilam, tra traveling seven times between uh, Mount Safa, Mount Wawa, uh, Tam the Sahi, the symbolical stoning of devil in the in Mina, Tam Rami. Then uh, when at Mecca, the pilgrims go to the Kaaba in the mosque and walk around it in circle. I think that's the seven times. Then when pray, uh, when they pray together in official ceremony, they go out to perform the standing ceremony to remember the farewell sermon of Muhammad on the Arafat. So on the return trip, pilgrims return to Mina where they throw seven stones. Uh, at the pillars that represent Satan, they call it stoning the Satan, so as to express their hatred of Shatan, that's a devil in Arabic. They then return to Mecca to complete their pilgrimage, for the Quran specifically says that only those capable of making the pilgrimage are required. Now, the reason for this pilgrimage is to allow in the footsteps of Prophet Muhammad, hoping to gain enlightenment as Muhammad did when he was in the presence of Allah, the pilgrimage of the Hajj is in the Quran, so that's the fifth pillar for for uh, for this uh, for the Sunni, for the Shia, for the Shia, sorry, the Shia Islam. They have they call it the Twelvers. They have uh, five pillars. So their first one is uh, Tawid, that's monotheism, believe in the oneness of God. The second one, that's the Adil, that's divine justice, believe in God's justice. Number three, they have the Nubuwa, that's prophethood. Number three, Imama, that's succession to Muhammad. Number four is the Mihad, the day of judgment and resurrection. You know, so in addition to these five pillars, there are 10 practices that Shia Muslims will perform called the auxiliaries of faith. You know, so that's what we're going to add to it now as the Salah. Number one, that's uh, that's uh, five daily prayers. The, uh, then number two, fasting for Ramadan. Number three, that's the zakat, which the Sunni also do the same thing. Arms giving, similar to what the Sunni, like I said. So you have the combs and annual taxation of one fifth. That's the uh, twenty percent of the gains that uh, that you make in your in the whole year. You know, directed to the poor, to the imam. To the needy or your community there are number five here for the shia is for pilgrimage to mecca number six is jihad striving for the cause of allah we'll be looking at jihad more in the part two of this series part two of uh, episode 19 seven enjoying good things of life number eight forbidding wrong things number nine that's a tawala expressing love towards good people you know it's uh, it's essential 
according to the Shia belief, which I think cut across all religions. Number 10, that's Tabara, expressing disassociation and hatred towards evil. So for the Ismaili sect, their case is, uh, they, they, they just say they have seven pillars of Ismailism. You know, Ismailis have their own pillars, which are as follows. Number one is Walaya. Guardianship denotes love and devotion to God. The prophet and the Ismaili imams are their representative. So, Tawid is the second one, which is the oneness of God. Salah, the third one, unlike Sunni and the 12 Muslim, 12 Muslim in this regard are the Shia. Nizari Ismaili reasons that it is up to the current Imam to designate the style and form of prayer. Now, the number four for them here is Zakat, which is synonymous with the other sect. With the exception of Druze, all Ismaili madhabs have practices resembling that of Sunni and Shia, with the addition of the characteristic Shia combs. So, in the Psalm, which is uh, Nizari's, that's, uh, that's their number five in this regard. Nizaris and Mustafis believe in both a metaphorical and literary meaning of fasting. So that shows that everybody believes in that. That also cut across. But number six for them, for the Ismailis, is Aj. For Ismailis, the Aj means uh, visiting the Imam or his representative, and that this is the greatest and most spiritual of all pilgrimage. So the Mustafa believe that also that the practice of going to mecca so it's not that they can they believe in going to into Aj mecca also so but they also believe that going on pilgrimage to a revered uh, imam might also suffice but going to to mecca for Hajj is also part of it the druze interpret this completely metaphorically as fleeing from devils and oppressors and rarely go to mecca that's what i was trying to say they go there but it's not there's no sacrosanct for the ismailis now Jihad, which is the final one for them, they have, like I said, seven pillars. So I've gone through the guardianship, oneness of God, the salah, zakat, uh, pilgrimage, fasting. So the final one is jihad, that struggle, the greater struggle and the lesser struggle. So in the part two of this series, we're going to talk about a lot more about jihad. So histories of these pillars, you know, one of the greatest assumptions about Islamic history is that the five pillars were already set and in place at the time of the prophet's death in uh, 6, uh, 632 CE. However, most changes to these Islamic rituals came from small differences among minority Muslims group. The major beliefs of the pillars were already in place, taking the shape of life and beliefs of the prophet Muhammad. The five pillars are alluded in the Quran and some are even specifically stated in the Quran like the Aj to Mecca. However, the difference in practice of these traditions are accepted in all the five pillars. So, but this does not mean they have all existence, they've all been in existence since the life of Muhammad. Now, that's the prophet. The, the evidence of differences show pillars have always been consistent to what they are today. So it has taken years for the pillars to get to their current and classic form. So now what we're trying to say there in some ways is that some of these things, because they're different sects, you know, they, they tend to be some alteration, but this is, not, this is not limited to Islam alone. I mean, what clearly we've seen that the Ismaili sects have seven pillars. Five of them are similar to the to what the the Sunnis and the Shia think. So that's why if you look listen to all I've said today already, I started with the six pillars, you know, 
which is the, the, the things are synonymous with all the sect that believe in the oneness of God, believes in the angels of God, believe in the books of God, believe in the prophet or the messenger of God, believe in the day of judgment, believe in the divine decree. That is synonymous for all, all Muslims. But the major five tenets for them, you know, which we all know already and which has always worked, even though the Shia tribe via of a bit. Now, we're going to end there because we've looked at the overview and the six core beliefs. We look at the basic tenets of Islam, the Sunni angle, the Shia angle, the Ismaili sect angle. So in the second part of this series next week, we're going to be looking at what the Quran actually says, uh, or the Sharia angle, Islam and war, Islam and crime, and jihad in itself. That's what we're going to be looking at. So I'm still your boy, Adi Balogo, and this has been Atlanta Discourse. I'm sure you enjoyed talking about Islam. We need to find out, is Islam a religion of violence? But from what you've heard me say so far, from the little we've talked about, you know that it's, Islam is not a religion of violence. Violence is preaching indirectly in most other religions, but it's a function of application. And uh, by the time we conclude in, in the second episode, the part two of this, you know where we're really going there. It's what you do as a Christian, what you do as a Muslim, what you do as a Buddhist or a Judaist is what really matters. You know, it's your it's your attitude, your personality that actually determines what the religion says. You know, that's why there's so many examples out there that we can we can look at because if you look at what the good scholar said, that's Milad Milani, the lecturer in history and political thought from Western uh, Sydney University. He made two references in the Quran. The first one he said, "The servant of the All Merciful are those who work." in the act modestly and who when the ignorant addresses them they always say peace that's in quran chapter 5 verse 63 and it said he quoted another one he said fight them and god will chastise them at your hands and degrade them and he will help you against them and bring healing to the breast of people who believe that's quran 9 verse 14 so we'll end this uh episode 19 verse uh let's say part one right now i will continue next week with the second part of this series is islam a religion of all thank you everybody for listening have a fantastic and blessed weekend ahead god bless you bye